listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 287. I'm your host Annika Harrison and joining me for the show is my co-host Pontus Bergmann. Hallo! Hey son, hey son! We have no Andras. Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> how did that happen? I don't know where he is. He seems very confused. And, and listeners may uh, have noticed that uh, there was no episode last week. Not because we didn't record one, but uh, the, it, it was just impossible to get it edited yeah. on time. So we recorded a great interview with uh, Anne-Marie Bonn from... The Netherlands, mm -hmm. and she, an author, she's uh, fantastic. You will hear about her next week because we postponed that interview to next week. So today it's me and uh, Annika doing what we usually do. Yes. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can really look forward to the interview because it's awesome. <laughs> yes, it was very good. It is very good. It will be very good. <laughs> So, is it raining on you, uh, Annika? Um, not on me, luckily, because I've got a roof, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So, we're not doing this out in the open. No, no, no. I wish you would have told me that 287 episodes ago, <laughs> and I wouldn't have been so cold over all those recordings. Um, fine. Yeah, so it's here, it's, it's um, raining, so Scotty can't even take Luna on a walk during the mm -hmm. recording. <laughs> How's right. the weather in Sweden? Yeah, it's the same. It's been raining all day. Which I guess is not too bad because it has been fairly dry for a long part of the summer. But mm. but now I don't appreciate it very much. I'm I'm working again, shocker, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm working at a place which is fairly close. It's about two kilometers, maybe two kilometers, maybe it's mm -hmm. uh, it's walking distance. Yeah. But it takes 20 minutes to walk that distance, mm -hmm. and in 20 minutes you can be pretty soaked if the weather is like this. So we, I all, I did today. I got pretty wet on the way there in the morning, and then I was going home, and I said, "Bloody hell, I need an umbrella." So I went into a little shop next to where I was working, and uh, wouldn't you believe it? They were all out of uh, umbrellas for grown-ups. So I had to choose between a little pink one and a one that said Spider-Man. <laughs> And because I just felt like this today, I, I, I chose the pink one. So I went home with my little, little, tiny pink umbrella. Well done. Uh, and it worked <laughs> a little bit. I, I wasn't quite as soaked as in the morning. <laughs> Did you wear it as a hat? <laughs> oh, it was almost like a hat, yes. <laughs> like yeah. a little mushroom hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I looked pretty stunning walking down the street there. But that's for, for others to say. <laughs> So it's a nice image, oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish somebody would have taken a photo. We could have had it as the show note or as the episode picture. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> alas, not. Didn't happen. Yeah, sad. <laughs> right. But I want to plug something that hasn't, as we record this, it hasn't gone out on the interwebs yet. But I think I want to start plugging mm -hmm. it already anyway. As people know, uh, the UK skeptics have been very fantastic with all of their skeptics in the pub events for over a year they did it every thursday and now they are cut it back to every other thursday but we in the swedish skeptics we took that same concept and we got even some technical assistance from from david glass of, of the uk skeptics and others as well 
and we set up something similar. We've done it less regularly, roughly once a month or so, and usually in Swedish. But the next one that's coming up is in English. So that's why I want to bring it up on the show. So maybe our listeners want to to tune in for that. That's on the uh, 6th of September. It's a Monday, Monday evening at 7 o'clock. There will be a Swedish, but in English, Skeptics in the Pub featuring... Uh, one person who has actually been on the show for a long time ago. Uh, his name is Klaus Larsen, mm. and he has a colleague called Sten Svanholm. They are Danish, but they are considered one of the best sources when it comes to the 9-11 myths and the 9-11 facts as well. Not not the myths. They're not producing myths. They are <laughs> best experts sources of in, myths. <laughs> no, they are experts in... What actually happened? What are the, all the conspiracy theories uh, around it? And uh, how can you counter uh, the arguments if somebody starts talking to you about how it was really uh, organized by the US government, etc., etc.? We thought it was very fitting to do it now in September because it's actually the 20th uh, anniversary since... Well, anniversary sounds like you celebrated, but it's the it's 20 years in September since the actual event happened. And it occurred to me, because I am an old fart and I hadn't thought about that, (laughs) a lot of people who are today grown-ups, they do not remember this. They were not there when it happened or they were so small that they didn't realize what happened. And I think for older people like me who have forgotten what happened, uh, it's going to be very interesting. And for younger people who maybe just have a foggy idea of what it was all about, uh, they should tune in as well. And we will post the, the link in the show notes. Uh, maybe not for this one, because I'm not sure the link is ready, but we will eventually, and we will put it in the events in Europe calendar, and we will also put it in the Facebook feed of of uh, the ESP, so that you won't miss it. Don't miss that. That sounds very good. Mm-hmm. Great. So I think we should crack on with the show. <laughs> very good idea. And for that, I think we should just hop over to my little segment, and that is called This Week in Skepticism. Yeah, and today we are remembering the birthday of Luc Montagnier, probably pronounced differently, but dear listeners, you know what to do. (laughs) Yes, sounds good to me, but if you're not happy with it, please send us your sound files. Please uh, about do. How to, how to pronounce it and we will play it on the show and educate the world. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was born on the 18th of August 1932 and is a French virologist and a joint recipient of the 2008 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Uh, he received that together with François Barre Sinosu, and that's some probably someone like something where I definitely have to get a recording. <laughs> yeah, same rules apply. Info at the ESP.eu. Exactly. Send us your files. And Harald Zuhausen, and I hope that was actually German because then he's very easy to pronounce for me. For some people, yes. And they got the Nobel Prize for the discovery of the human immunodeficiency virus HIV. They found the virus in a lymph node uh, biopsy, but it was not clear it was the cause of AIDS at that point of time. They published that in 1983. So there was actually a big controversy who actually discovered it uh, with another scientist from the US called Gallo. But in the end, each team said they played uh, pivotal roles. 
but they left the US uh, American scientist out of the award, to which Montagnier was pretty surprised. Then, in 2009, <laughs> he published research on electromagnetic signals from DNA, which met harsh criticism, but got positive feedback from homeopaths. <laughs> and that's something right. you don't want, right? No. So, and I actually found a quote by our own Harriet Hall, who said on the 20th of October 2010, she responded to these claims by homeopaths that said like his research would be would show that homeopathy is working. And she responded, quote, Nope, sorry guys, it doesn't. In fact, its findings are inconsistent with homeopathic theory. Homeopaths who believe Montagnier's study supports homeopathy are only demonstrating their enormous capacity for self-deception. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And she also says, even assuming the results are valid, they tend to discredit homeopathy not supported. Homeopathy is a system of clinical treatment that can only be val validated by in vivo clinical trials. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty pretty on point. <laughs> right. Yeah, well said. And and so Luc Montagnier is one of those Nobel laureates who does something very very good, HIV virus, define that, that's very good, and then goes totally off rails with homeopathic thinking yeah. and, and stuff. And it's uh, it's sad to see it happen, but it's not that unusual. Yeah. And it's like in 2020, he said that the SARS-CoV-2 virus, like COVID, was man-made as a result to create a vaccine for HIV. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, he totally went off the rails and there's no evidence for that. There's no evidence that the SARS-CoV-2 virus was man-made. And I was, I was thinking, like, was it this what happened to Montagnier? Was that a Dunning-Kruger effect? Was it hubris? And then I thought, and then actually Scotty suggested, we should just call this the Montagnier effect. <laughs> right, okay. It's like, if you're, if you're smart and you do something good and you receive a Nobel Prize and then you'd completely uh, go off the rails. So yeah, Montagnier effect, <laughs> look it up, <laughs> doesn't exist. <laughs> that, that's right. However, we usually call it the, the Nobel disease. Yeah. And there's, there's no virus for that. Uh, you get it anyway. And also, of course, there's no homeopathic um, cure for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there should be. <laughs> yeah, we need one. We need one. And and Luc Montagnier is one of those people who has won two very different and very prestigious awards, and that is the Nobel Prize, of course. But he also won a really wrong award on this show. Exactly. For his, <laughs> in this year, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah. Yes, I think that so. Long yeah, ago. not long yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very. I struggle to think about what's more prestigious there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll leave it leave it to the audience. Yes, to decide. The, the audience should decide. Right. <laughs> Modesty forbid. <laughs> yeah, but Montagnier will will turn. I think eighty nine tomorrow, mm -hmm. as of this recording. So on the eighteenth. Well, good. So him. yeah, happy birthday. Please think about what you do. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Have a good day, I guess. <laughs> and be careful next time you, you say something in public. Exactly. <laughs> okay, but now, without further ado, I think we should leave Montagnier be. He got already like bashed enough by us now. And I think we want to go to bash other people, right? So mm -hmm. why don't we start poking the Pope? Yes, let's do that. And, and let's start with finances this time. The Otto per Mille 
Have you heard about that, Annika? No. <laughs> no, not really. Maybe Andras uh, would know. He, he has a good grip on all things Italian. But the otto per mille, or eight per thousand, is an Italian tax rule, which means that uh, each taxpayer has the possibility to name a charity on their tax return. And that charity gets eight thousands of the total tax paid from that person. And uh, by tradition, of course, the Catholic Church is and has been the favorite charity in Italy. We we should remember that the Vatican is actually in Italy and very much part of Italy, even if they try to claim that they're a country of their own. Well, they are a country on their own. But anyway, what's happening now, though, is that the share of people putting the tick box for uh, the Catholic Church in Italy is declining steadily. And this year is the first year that they end up below 30% of the votes, if you will. Now, luckily for the church, the 70% of the taxpayers don't check any charity at all. And the rules say that uh, that portion then is divided as per the people who did choose. So uh, the Catholic Church will still end up receiving over a billion euros from Italian taxpayers, which is interesting. But the whole thing is it's still an indication that even in Italy, the church is losing their support. People are not choosing them as their preferred charity as much as before. And it's a trend that has continued for for some time and they should be worried. And they probably are. Okay, so how about some nepotism in the Catholic church then? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have mentioned the Argentine bishop Gustavo Sanchetta before. He is a close friend of Francis since before Francis was a a pope. He was one of the first bishops that was appointed by Francis after Francis had uh, assumed office. That was in 2013. But in 2015, things started to go a bit wrong. One of Sanchetta's secretaries alerted authorities because that person found sexually explicit images sent and received on Sanchetta's cell phone. This scandal eventually led to Sanchetta's resignation in 2017, despite Francis declaring that he believed Sanchetta's explanation that his phone had been hacked. Of Of course course it had been hacked. (laughs) So still very friendly with Francis, Sanchetta got a Vatican citizenship after this scandal and also a comfy job created just for him by Francis at APSA, A-P-S-A. And I don't really know what the acronym is, but it, it, it's an institution that oversees the, the Vatican's real estate holdings and other assets. So it's an it's a important institution. But it didn't stop there, because in 2019, Argentine authorities charged Sancheta of financial misconduct and also of sexual abuse. And uh, then he left his job at APSA, but Francis reinstated him again last year uh, for some reason that we don't really know. I guess he just liked this guy, no matter what he's doing. And the soap opera continues because APSA has now confirmed that Sanchetta has left his job again. And all of that is probably because the Argentinian trial that Sanchetta will uh, stand in front of will start Uh, in September. 
So uh, we'll see how long um, Frankie can keep holding his friend uh, behind the back and, and making sure that everything's okay and making sure he gets citizenships and, and new jobs and everything. But it seems, well, it's all allegedly at this time. We don't know if he's done anything illegal, but I guess we're about to find out. Yeah, sounds uh, exciting. <laughs> yeah, inter- interesting to mm-hmm. see that. Uh, Francis is pretty impressed with some people who do not seem so uh, nice in, in other people's mm-hmm. eyes. Anyway, there are more legal shenanigans. One more. Yeah. And this is mm-hmm. one I've m- mentioned before. Italy and the Vatican are preparing for what is now getting to be referred to as, quote, the trial of the century. It is, of course, about Cardinal Angelo Becciu. Gesundheit. Who, uh, <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Uh, who he stands accused, as we've talked about before, of a financial fraud in connection with a failed property acquisition in London. The trial was adjourned to October, but there are some interesting developments happening already now, which you should be aware of. There are other players in this uh, soup. One is Monsignor Alberto Perlasca who was uh, involved in the shady deal at every stage, as it's said. It was thought that he would be a key prosecution target in this trial. And he was also singled out uh, by uh, the Pope's sustituto, or substitute, (laughs) Archbishop Edgar Peña Para. And Para formally signed all of these deals that are now questioned and and the basis for, for this trial. But he has blamed Perlaska for making him do it. Perlaska always seemed to make sure that there was never enough time to discuss what was going to be signed. He didn't get time to question it and he was more or less forced to sign it. So Parra blames it all on Perlaska and say that he allegedly did all of the, uh, the dirty work for Betchu. So I hope you can follow this. It's a bit getting a bit complicated. It the is. Four, the three, <laughs> three people here. Betchu is the main sub- suspect. It's Perlaska who seems to have done a lot of the dirty work. And then there is Para who signed everything but blames it on Perlaska. But because now it's getting worse. So keep that in mind. <laughs> in June, Perlaska turned informant. He said, I will now tell everything. And so now he is treated as a key witness and not as a key suspect anymore. He doesn't, he's not charged with anything because he's a key witness instead. And Perlaska even went as far as to paint himself. He is actually a victim of Betchu. He also alluded to that he was almost an abuse victim of Betchu. And of course, Betchu strongly denies this. It is really a mess. Reportedly, there are around 30 lawyers involved in this trial, and it will continue on the 5th of October. And this is so, this is a cliffhanger. We don't know how this will end. It doesn't sound like any of these guys are quite innocent or at least morally irreproachable. Uh, we will see um, what happens in October when, uh, when the trial continues. We'll see. We'll stay tuned, I think. (laughs) Yeah, well, about poking the Pope. In this last thing, I think Pope Francis is very, very wise not to say anything about anything (laughs) here. However, there's one thing he did do. He did skip one of uh, the more uh, traditional ceremonies at Easter and spent it with Betchu alone. And we don't know what they said to each other. At the time, it was hinted maybe they are reconciling their differences a bit. 
or maybe uh, Francis was uh, telling him uh, one thing or other, other. but uh, it, it was an interesting turn of events. So, so Francis is there in the background. You can really see that he still has the strings in his hand. Mm. Yes, he's the bloody Pope. For he is, yeah, yeah, like he, he should, like, but it's still a weird situation. Okay, thank you, Pontus. Thank you. We don't have a COVID update, so yeah, let's just jump into the news. Yes. Okay, so let's start with some little bit fun, well, not fun, but interesting news there. Um in Sweden, and I guess in many other countries with a social security system, you can get financial help uh, with taking care of people who have trouble taking care of themselves for one reason or another. I don't know what it's called abroad, but here in Sweden it's called assistance. So you can either take on the task yourself to assist somebody who is too poorly to take care of him or herself, or you can pay a private company to do it. And the financial aid you get from the authorities is either to compensate for your own lost income or to pay the company that does the taking care of all the assistance. It's, it's a good system, but of course, occasionally people get caught with cheating. And it's, you know, that, that it is unfortunate, but uh, it's to be expected. Uh, there are dishonest people out there, unfortunately. Recently, there was a new case of assistance fraud. And uh, there was a company with at least 18 people was involved. Several of them were related or belonging to the same family. They have, over many years, collected money to take care of people who apparently do not need to be taken care of. This was driven mostly by a married couple and their 33-year-old daughter. And they were now sentenced last week to between six and seven years in prison for swindling the system out of over 4 million euro. So, quite a lot. Yeah, wow. What does that have to do with skepticism? Yeah, I'll tell you, because at the trial, they uh, had a little special defense. They argued that they were forced to do all of this by black magic, executed by a now-dead grandmother and a dead grandfather. So they are the real culprits, and they should go free, they argued. Well, they lost the case, but... That's what they said. Uh, especially the grandmother seems to have put terrible spells over the family, causing divorce, infertility and traffic accidents and other things. But the court, however, didn't buy it. <laughs> they have a detailed text in the document where they, uh, in the trial document, where they point out why this so-called black magic isn't very convincing at all. And uh, they also point out, and I quote, the grandfather passed away in August 2012 at the latest and can therefore hardly have been involved in the company since then, end quote. <laughs> so I think that's pretty apt. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds, yeah. So, wow. I, I don't know. how Do people really believe that blaming <laughs> black magic and dead relatives will get you off a trial? I don't know. Maybe they believe in it. I don't know. But it's like... Uh, Maybe they do. Maybe they do. It's but, always a bit uh, absurd. Still. Yeah, well, I wonder if you're if you're the their defense lawyer, you you would actually even if they believe it, they say, well, maybe you should find a better defense. <laughs> maybe yes. we should find a better uh, better argument for for our innocence than than blaming a, a grandmother as being dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I'll I'll go to something completely different now. So mm -hmm. doesn't have to do with black magic. Something very bad too, but it, like it's not black magic, but it's bad. I think a lot of people already might have heard it. The IPCC report number six is out, and um, yeah, it's it's the climate report, and um, they say that the human influence on our climate system is proven. And the Earth's energy budget is changing, water cycles are changing, sea levels are changing, more extreme events are likely, and, and the climate crisis is widespread, rapid, and intensifying. It's like like a snowball or, or like an avalanche. It, it's happening, it's getting bigger. It's not something that we are like, oh yeah, it will happen in the future. No, it the future is now, it's happening right now. Right. To to support this report, July has gotten a price of being um, the warmest... Really wrong? Yeah, the, the really wrong price, pretty much. Um, because it was the hottest month on the record. So in the last 200 years, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, it's a f the first place is a place you don't want to be. Like It is a really wrong award. The land surface temperature in the Northern Hemisphere was the highest ever. For Europe, it was, was the second hottest July. The sea ice coverage is going back. The Gulf Stream is slowing down. It's like, what else do we want to hear to change things? That's pretty much what I'm getting yeah. at. And uh, yeah, I, I have to say, like with all the whole climate crisis, I feel like a like a frog that is being boiled. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah. I... I The only thing positive out of last week's report and, and, and this is that it seems finally... It Maybe it's some sort of a tipping point for awareness. I think the sound of it is that people are now... It sort of quieted the, the skeptics a bit. Not the, not the real skeptics, the, the, that's us, but the deniers. It, it quieted the deniers and... Lots of public politicians and big people are not talking. We need to do something. We need to do it now. And I hope they actually start doing it. It's been said before, but they need to work now. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 uh, depressing. It is a bit depressing. It is. Covid is depressing as well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it's a bit depressing that people still misrepresent everything they hear and they cling to old ideas that has been disproven but so Iceland has been in the news lately Iceland has been praised for its coronavirus response and its world leading uh, vaccination rate so lots of people are vaccinated and, and they did a very good job but still over the last month or so Iceland sees its highest level of infections since the start of the pandemic so what is happening and a lot of people are now pointing to Iceland as a proof that vaccination doesn't work spoiler it does so nearly 71% of its population is fully vaccinated at this point and by the end of june the country's leaders basically declared victory and that well they said the war against the pandemic is over at least in on iceland and uh, they decided that there were no more requirements when it comes to masks distancing no limits on gatherings or operating hours uh, in in shops etc and no testing of uh, vaccinated travelers if you're vaccinated you don't need to be tested so that was end of june fast forward to uh, 12th of august after lifting most of the restrictions as i said the number of cases has gone from 1.6 per 100,000 people in two weeks time 
to 421. So the number of cases has actually skyrocketed over the last month or so. And anti-vaxxers all over the place are saying, well, the vaccinations doesn't work. What they fail to see is that there are virtually no deaths among these new cases and almost no serious cases. So the lessons learned here is not that vaccines do not work, but that 71% doesn't seem to be high enough of a vaccination rate to get rid of the disease altogether. And, and maybe this is what the world will become like in the future. We may not ever get rid of COVID, but we can make it less harmful by vaccinating everyone. And of course, we should remember, though, there are people who cannot get vaccinated for, for medical reasons. They will still be at risk in that case. So another scenario going forward is that we may have to keep ourselves vaccinated, the ones that can be that, and uh, then always keep some level of restrictions. But vaccines work. You can still get infected while vaccinated, but a vaccinated person is still very safe from COVID. Yeah, vaccinations work. COVID tests also work, but only if they're actually done correctly. Hmm. I've got several news which uh, are concerning because in the UK, companies are actually struggling to cope with the demand of testing. Hmm. And politicians are already questioning the need for PCR tests. People are saying that they are testing and no one checks up on it. And there's a lot of money involved. So people are just getting angry in the UK. Whereas there are fake COVID certificates suspected to be manufactured at a travel agency in Malmö, Sweden. Yeah. They hijacked a doctor's signature and, and just printed out certificate after certificate again. And fraud certificates have also been reported in Bordeaux and in Marseille, in France. All of this is pretty concerning. I think it's not surprising. No, unfortunately not. It's usually when money is involved, there will be people who find a way to get around it and to get more out of the system. But it is, as I said, concerning because it yeah, undermines and devalues the whole, the whole testing regime, so to say. Yeah, and it's it's despicable that people are taking advantage of this. We had this guy in in uh, which we talked about a couple of times, a Swedish guy who got jail time for for doing similar things. Mm. But as long as you have you have a PCR test and people really want it, and if you want if you have to pay for it, it's between I think it's about between a hundred and two hundred euros. Mm. And then people get very creative and say, well, I can print one for, for 50 euros mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I don't even have to test anything. And, some, and it's in the case of the doctor who got a prison sentence, he didn't even tell his clients that he was cheating. He just gave them what they thought was a proper test result, yeah. but he didn't do any testing. Here, I don't know, there are, of course, all the... The, the spectrum is big. I, I think everybody do their own little scam there. Or yeah, doesn't help people. Don't do it. Yeah, definitely don't. It's it's like it doesn't lead to good outcomes. <laughs> no, right. Speaking of um, cheating with medicine and <laughs> medical things, there is a quick follow up here from what we've talked about in the past as well regarding the Society of Homeopaths in the UK. 
and their status with the PSA, the Professional Standards Authority. So we've talked about that before based on alerts from the Good Thinking Society and I guess uh, some other input as well. The PSA has given uh, in the past the Society of Homeopaths several warnings. The problem was that they did have certain standards on paper formally. We shouldn't do this, you shouldn't be anti-vax, you shouldn't do that. But the Society of Homeopaths did not enforce those policies with their members. So the PSA said, well, you, can't, you can't do this. If, if you have those standards, which we want you to have, you have to try to enforce them as well. Otherwise, we, we can't keep you on the list of accredited organizations anymore. And uh, they had some time to fix their problems that didn't work. And the latest news is that the Society of Homeopaths have decided to withdraw from the list of accredited organizations. So instead of getting kicked out, they just say, well, we're not going to do this, so, so uh, we'll leave. And this is very good, very good news, because as we know, homeopathy is not a scientific or evidence-based medicine. It doesn't seem to work, and it has no credibility when it comes to the science behind it, because there is no science behind it. And having this stamp of being accredited by the PSA has been good for homeopaths in the UK because it lends credibility to what they're doing. Well, they, if they prove that it works, I'm fine with saying, okay, fine, we were wrong. Give us the science and you can play with the big boys again. But as long as they haven't proven or even given a plausible explanation for how it works, then they shouldn't be accredited by anyone. Yeah, exactly. They should never receive any accreditation. No. Yeah, and I think from people receiving accreditation, that's that's really wrong, isn't it? <laughs> well, in certain cases, you don't want them to get accredited, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we jump over to seeing if someone is really wrong or really right this week? You know what strikes me as an extremely bad idea? Um, that is... Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> that is to arrange or attend a festival during a pandemic, a festival with the expressed purpose of being intimate with and close to hundreds of strangers. This incredibly stupid event happened in the small <laughs> municipality of Molkom in the middle of Sweden a couple of weeks ago. And I'm talking about a Tantra festival with about uh, 500 participants, all being merry and only partially dressed, I assume, having a good time, practicing free love uh, that would make a hippie from the 60s and the 70s feel right at home. And before anyone you know, writes in, uh, I'm sure it's not all about sex, but it's not not about sex either. Some sex <laughs> is happening on these yeah. uh, there. And, and even if it's not sex, there are intimate massages. You're getting close to people. People walk around with uh, barely dressed or not dressed at all and, and stay in very close proximity to each other. And I'm not trying to be the moral police here. Whatever floats your boat, fine. Just go to town and do it. But... There's a time and a place. And when there is a global pandemic that all the rest of us are trying to fight desperately, that is not a good time to do this. Yeah, 
definitely. <laughs> you know, I mean, forget about not wearing masks. If you're not wearing anything uh, and make out with people, you don't even know, then yeah. viruses will spread. You you are exchanging more bodily fluids than if you're yeah. not wearing a mask in a shop, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're exchanging more than you bargain for there. The, this love fest was described by the organizers as, quote, five days of life expansion, exclamation point. Through transformational workups, music, dance, conscious sexuality and meetings from the heart, end quote. And it took place July 26th to July 31st. And the latest reported number of COVID cases that came out of this fantastic event is 106 so that's over 20% of the 500 participants came home with um, COVID. So that's not what you wanted. Uh, so I hope it was all worth it for them. They, after all, they had the privilege to be taught the secrets of Tantra by teachers with names like Joy, Yogi Kevin and Lynn Lovely. So Lynn Lovely indeed. I can tell you who think it was not worth it. And that is the local municipality politicians. They are now furious, especially since now the whole county of Värmland, which is where this happened, and it, which is also on the border to Norway, has become red-listed, which is a huge hit on the local tourist industry, especially to and from uh, Norway. There's a lot of exchange of people normally, and now there's no more of that because of this uh, stupidity. And, and, and these hippies, of course, are now quite understandably being called anti-vaxxers, COVID deniers and worse by, by the general public. And I think they deserve it. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, free love. I, I can see the attraction, but uh, there's a time and place. Yeah, and it's not in a pandemic. <laughs> it's not in a pandemic. Please, people, think a little bit. So... For being stupid, selfish and ignorant, the organizers and participants in the Tantra Festival in Sweden get today's prize for being really wrong. They are the kind of people that can make you lose faith in humanity. Yeah. If people are that stupid, I wonder how if there's any hope for, for the rest of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another well-deserved prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much the show. Uh, but of course, I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. With this quote, I, I took the liberty of translating a, a German quote. Oh, well, you're, you're certainly qualified to do so. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> and the quote is, I was a scientist and then I noticed I have to go into science communication. It has turned into a political thing to stand for facts. Yeah, And that is by Mighty Nian Kim, who I already mentioned uh, last week, who is a very prolific science communicator in Germany. Except it was two weeks ago, because there was no show there last was week. That was two weeks ago, That's yeah. That's right. But we love her, we love science communication, and yes. we love people who are scientists and then go into science communication, because we really, really need it. Science isn't easy to communicate and uh, communication is never easy anyway. So uh, we're glad that there are some people who are good at it. Exactly. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that really has been the show now. Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. Thanks to our listeners for listening and for sticking with us. <laughs> and until next week, goodbye. Hello. Tschüss. Wie slap. 
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can Okay. I am your host, Annika Harrison, yeah. <laughs> and with me today is my co Yeah, that's what I forgot, and that's why I had to go back to 280 yeah, it's, it's to tricky, find it. It is a tricky part. It is a tricky <laughs> part, but, but it's only been the same for 287 yeah. episodes. But I can tricky. always claim I've got mom brain. <laughs> <laughs> Still very safe from COVID. Luna, what is the loss? Give me the microphone. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I wonder what we're doing to her now. She will grow up with the impression that small black boxes are very, very yeah. important. Yeah. And, and mother looks at them all the yeah, time exactly. and I want to do it too.